Back in 2015, Alicia Esmail decided that she wanted to do something with coffee, but also make it more than coffee. Bring some humanitarian effort into it too, right? Right? Yeah. You're on board with that. I'm on board with that. Yeah. Cool, man. This is the story of Road Coffee Roasters. This is The Other 18. Dive in as we sit down with inspirational leaders who share their origin stories about the highs and lows, the yeses and nos, the wins and the blows of entrepreneurship. Welcome to The Other 18 with your hosts, Shane Chapman and Bryce Walanyuk. Hey, everybody. We're back in Saskatoon. And even though this isn't going to come out for a few weeks, it's beautiful outside today. It's gorgeous this week. It's like the eve of a giant snowfall coming this weekend, though. Yes. So enjoy it while it lasts. But we decided to be inside. Alicia, do you like the snow? I love the snow, but I do not like the cold. You don't like the... I hear you. I can live with the snow. You would like warm snow? Yeah. (laughs) Because there's a lot of activities you can do with the snow. The snow is fun. It's the minus 40 that's no fun. Right, exactly. right, right, right. Give me lots of snow at Christmas time in January and then get back to your regularly scheduled So summer like a month of snow is yep. cool. Yep, I'm good at that. You live yeah. in the wrong place for that. True. <laughs> yep. I'm holding out hope though. For 40 years, I'm like, it'll change. Right, right yeah, exactly. <laughs> it'll change. Uh, Alicia Esmail from Road Coffee is with us today. So welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Yeah, good. So we got a lot of tough questions to get out here. Tons. And um, this is so, 60 minutes. Let's go. You're I'm on. ready. Right. But if Donald Trump has taught us anything, you can get up and walk out at any point yeah, if you're you not comfortable, leave, yeah. right? <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, Alicia, before we get to talking about Road Coffee and your journey of entrepreneurship, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself personally, whether there's like a family life at home or like where you kind of moved around, what, what your story is? Yeah, totally. So, I was born and raised here in Saskatoon. I grew up loving life as your average Canadian kid. Um, But being a first generation Canadian, both my parents were born in Tanzania, Africa. Yeah. So I always grew up with a bit of an international bend, one might say. So even when I was in high school, I started traveling internationally and I caught the travel bug very young. I think I was on my first flight at three months, actually. What? Yeah, so it kind of grew up with that travel bug. and uh, How did, Was the airline food okay at three months? You know, I, I can't remember, but if it was uh, Air Canada, I don't know. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. No, same mush they're serving today. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Probably from the same year, too. Yeah. But, yeah. Slamming so, Air Canada. Sorry. No, it's great. Um, loved, loved traveling at a young age, and right out of the gate, I... I started um, my schooling in international development. I knew I wanted to impact the lives of people living in developed nations. Mm. And um, the more I started to travel, the more I saw just how different life was in other countries. Yeah. Growing up, you know, you don't realize how like lucky you are and privileged you are living in a, in a North American nation. And so as I was traveling and and going to school, I saw um, just like, crazy circumstances in places like Nepal and Haiti and Mm -hmm. South Africa. And I was involved in a number of projects like food security, clean water projects, um, uh, a bunch of different humanitarian work. It was, it was pretty awesome. And it was my dream job at the time. And, uh, in my free time though, I would always go and hang out at coffee and tea plantations. And so I'd get to know the farmers. Yeah, get to know um, their families, play soccer with their kids, drink tea with like their grandmas. And that's what I would do for fun in my free time. And the more I got to know them and learned about the process, the more I started to see behind the curtain of the coffee industry. Right. So when... I don't want to, I don't want to force you into telling us your age, but when, when did that start? Like after high school, you were kind of doing all this traveling and, and yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was after high school. I actually landed my dream job before I finished university. So I was able to jump right into doing the work I actually wanted to do. Nice. Mm -hmm. And I did that for about six and a half, almost seven years. Okay. Before I moved home to Saskatoon to start road. Right. And so was, was it the plan to go to university or something before, before this like opportunity presented itself or? Yeah, it was. And I started, I started my education in international development. I just happened to serendipitously meet the right people at the right time and land the right job for me at that age. So where were you traveling to? 
What's what's the list? Oh, the list is good. Um, I spent about a year in Nepal, which was amazing, and and traveling around Southeast Asia. I spent almost a year in Haiti after the earthquake, working with uh, a number of organizations down there. Uh, South Africa, Jordan, um, Panama, Mexico, everywhere. Yeah, a bit of All a bit smokes. of everywhere. Yeah, well cultured, and so. Uh, you were there for humanitarian purposes already. Um, growing up, that's did you know that that's what you wanted to do? Like you kind of said that you wanted to make a difference, whatever. But like, where did that start? I guess like you grew up in Saskatoon. So why did you suddenly like? What triggered you to be like, I want to make a difference in the world in these developing countries? Where does that come from? I don't know. You know, I think it was a mix of maybe having my parents come from Africa and hearing their stories of how they grew up and how mm -hmm. different it was. Right. You know, I, my plan was actually to go to Vancouver film school. I wanted to be a director for so long. And then it was only when I started traveling that I realized like, no, actually I think I want to go into development work. Oh, cool. Right. So, but before we hit record button, she was telling us about this uh, series she's doing, this yep. On the Road series. And I was like, that's really cool. And now she just dropped the bomb that she was going to go and be a director through film school. Yeah, and exactly, my, right? My, like, my visual of what this little show is just suddenly got a lot more serious. Yeah. <laughs> this was, is this the dream project then, On the Road? It's one of them. It's a, I think it's like the start of something different. It's really exciting. One thing we are in talks of and starting to work on slowly is a documentary about coffee and the industry. Wow. The industry itself is, is a little convoluted. And mm -hmm. one thing I like to say is like one of our dirty little secrets of the coffee industry is coffee farmers don't get paid above cost of goods. Right. So that's part of why road coffee exists. And it's part of what yeah. stories I want to be a part of telling. Yeah. Okay. So where did the coffee, um, I guess, passion start? Why coffee? Was that like, were you into coffee in high school? Have you always drank coffee? Like, how did you connect the two? I have always had this weird thing about coffee from a young age, even when I was like, 14, 15 years old, I used to talk about how I was going to own some sort of coffee company. Yeah. Oh, that's so that's cool. That's so cool. Yeah. It, and even like now, some of my friends and mentors remind me how like at age 15, I was talking about this and then life took me in a bit of a different direction, but then totally brought me full circle. Yeah. Which wow. is kind of cool. That's that super cool. really cool. Okay. So... Sorry, the personal side too. Are you are you married? Do you have kids? Are you yeah. is there family here still? What's that look like? My family is in Saskatoon, not married, and I don't have kids, but I have a surrounded by a number of extended nieces and nephews. Oh, okay. Beautiful. Got all so, the little kids around, yeah. You went through this you said seven years? Seven years you were traveling and doing this? Just shy of seven. And so did that come to an end because why? Because you cho you were done with it or did circumstances change or what, what brought you back to Saskatoon? There's a couple of things. I had to come back to Canada to renew my visa okay. to the States. And while I was doing that, I just reconnected with people in Saskatoon and I kind of felt in my gut, like now was time, now was the time to start down my entrepreneurial journey. Mm. Okay. And so, and you already had it kind of figured out because you've been thinking about it for 12 years or whatever it was since you were yeah, 15 right. or whatever, 15 years. Um, so you decide you're going to start a coffee shop and you know that it's going to be linked somehow to helping out these um, communities that you had spent the last seven years helping already, but you wanted to continue to down that path, right? Right. So the biggest reason I wanted to start something in coffee is, so I'm traveling, I'm meeting these farmers, I'm seeing the disconnect between how they're treated and how the supply chain works on their end of the world. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the first thing I did every time I got back to an airport was buy a coffee for five or seven dollars. Right, and right. they were definitely not seeing even a fraction of that. Right. And so how did like why did you think that you could make a difference doing that? Like mm. you're one person yeah. from Saskatchewan, Canada. Arguably what? not the best place to drink coffee. <laughs> what made you think that you were, you know, that you could do that, that you could just kind of like make a difference from such a far place from these places that you're helping now? 
honestly, I think a lot of it was like naivety and having rosy colored glasses. Like I remember coming back thinking like I was the shit and like I was going to like shake up this industry and change it in like a couple years. But I had no idea the massive industry that I was going up against and how it's been this way for hundreds of years. Right. Yeah. Are, are you, um, the industry being as big as it is, are you on their radar? Like, or have you made a splash enough that the big distributors <laughs> are, are looking at you and be like, piss off, like leave this alone? Not yet, not yet. I think we, we've caught the attention of, of a number of people and sometimes we run into some situations on the ground in some of these countries, but I don't think we're on like, you know, Nabobs or some of the, the super large players yet. Right. Okay. I say yet because we are coming for you. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and are Just you, if you're watching. Do you feel... Like, I feel like I'm getting ahead in the story here a bit, but I'm just curious. Do you feel like the farmers that you're working with, are, are you empowering them to stand up for themselves a little bit when they're dealing with these other companies? Or are they just not dealing with those companies anymore? They've found enough kind of like direct um, purchasers like yourself that are they don't have to worry about the big distributors anymore. It's a bit of both because we're still a younger company. We're not as large as some of these other companies. So mm -hmm. sometimes the only way a small farmer can survive is selling to the big guy or to their local co-op who sells to the big guy. So what we do is we, we try and work with as many farmers as we can right now. As we're growing, we add more and more each year. But what we do is we partner all our work with an educational piece. So whether that's understanding business better, helping them helping them understand their cost of goods, or helping them through our micro micro loan program we launched this year. Mm -hmm. um, there's a number of ways that we're trying to not just buy the coffee at a decent price, but also equip them to change the industry from a ground level. Right. Very grassroots. Very grassroots. Yeah. How? So, go, go ahead. I was going to be so like, so when you, when you started, was that, that was, that was the overarching vision the whole time? Kind of. It's definitely evolved over the years. If you would have told me two years ago that we'd be starting a microloan program, I probably wouldn't have believed you. Mm. It's just been through listening to our farmers, understanding their needs, seeing the problems firsthand. We've coming up solutions alongside the people we work with on the ground. Mm, okay. So instead of us going, well, you know, one of the things I learned very early on in development work is you never want to go into a community and tell them what they need. You want to listen, you want to learn and then help equip them to be the solution to their problem. So okay. that, you know, like one day if road doesn't exist, yeah. that they would be okay because, you know, they've, they've grown, they're educated, they know how to make wise decisions for their business and right. their communities. How are you doing all of this? So <laughs> the, the average local coffee shop buys some beans and they roast them and then they serve coffee. And they don't even necessarily buy them from the farmer. Right. And then they serve their customers, they pay their bills, they take home a salary and that's the end of it. How are you on top of all of that? Um, financing or affording both money and time to go so much deeper into the logistics chain to help at the start. Like how, where's the capacity come from? Uh, I think that's part of why our team is often exhausted, but um, <laughs> I think you make time for what's important to you. Mm, right. And so we've made time to go meet farmers. We've made time to make the connections when, where there weren't connections before we've made time to, um, talk to farmers directly. Even now during COVID, I'm often on WhatsApp talking to my farmers, trying to understand how they're doing. Actually, two of them in Costa Rica have COVID right now. Uh -huh. So I've been checking up, checking up on them, seeing how they're doing, you know, sending them good vibes. Um, I think a lot of it comes back to building relationships. Mm -hmm. And then what we focus on here in, in Saskatchewan is we're, we're not so much a coffee shop as we are a roastery and wholesale distribution. So okay. we roast coffee here and then we sell it and work with multiple cafes, restaurants, offices, and retail locations. Right. Okay. And you find a lot of people are coming to you because of the humanitarian side of the business is your coffee 
also better than other roasters? Like what's your kind of really in with some of these local shops? I think it's a mix of both. So we work with uh, Scott Rao directly, who is the Michael Jordan of the coffee world. Okay. So if you're in the coffee industry, you know who Scott Rao is. You probably have his books at your cafe, at your roastery. You've probably listened to his teachings and watched some of his classes online. Like he's the dude. Okay. Yeah. And we, I met him very, again, serendipitously last year in Montreal of all places by accident. And I very timidly went and introduced myself probably, uh, just was so awkward. And I remember just chatting with him and he's like so much more of a nerd than you expect. <laughs> right. He's like a, he's a coffee physicist, but he's like even more of a nerd. I was like, well, why wasn't I expecting this? <laughs> but, uh, since then he's been coaching us and working with us. So the quality of our coffee is unbelievable and we're really proud of the quality, but Apart from that, I think what also just really sets us apart is our sourcing model and these micro loans and the deep relationships with farmers that, as you mentioned, you know, not, not every coffee company is doing. Oh yeah. Okay. Let's start at the beginning of how road coffee even came to be. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we, we got deep yeah, we went. <laughs> yeah, we went a little far real quick. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to you move back to Saskatoon. You move decide back. you're going to open up um, yep. this road coffee roasters place. Um, first of all, where's the name come, come from? Yeah. That's a great question. That's actually yeah. a story I love telling. So it comes from the phrase, the road less traveled. Uh, great poem by Robert Frost, by the way. Yeah. Um, I'm really, really passionate that people should spend their lives doing what they love. If it's making ice cream, then make ice cream. If it's being a lawyer or a doctor or a stay-at-home parent, whatever you are passionate about, you should spend your life doing. Yeah. And that often means taking the road less traveled. Right. Not doing the same thing everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. So did that come to you right away? Or were there other names that you kind of kicked around before you settled on? I always knew it was going to be like, road and then it just hit me one day i was like oh road coffee okay yeah let's register it any so that was my next question was there any given that it's kind of like a a, like a generic word was there any trouble getting a name that wasn't kind of already taken or close to something else surprisingly not so we registered it right away and now we're our trademark is like in the works but that (laughs) they said it's going to take years to actually get it official but yeah there wasn't anything like it when we started oh wow That's good. Um, Now, what's the next step then? So you decide you're gonna do this thing. You've always known you're gonna do this, but you've now put yourself in the position to start, um, register the name. Yeah, so I I definitely needed to get more connected to Saskatoon because I was gone for so long. Right. So I got a job at a local cafe here and started learning the ropes of being a barista. I had worked with a number of different cafes around the world and helped started a couple, but I needed to really brush up on my skills. So that's what I did. I started working on my barista skills, started writing a business plan, and uh, it was doing a little bit of development work in the city as well with SHIP at the time, the Saskatoon Housing Okay, yeah. Nonprofit. Infill project? <laughs> Something like that. What is it? I don't know what it stands for either. I was just trying to get us they, there. They work with homelessness <laughs> in the city. Okay. Okay. And so um, you, how did you find a location? How, how important was a location for you, I guess, first of all? Um, and how much time did that take to find a place? So my friends had been working on a new project at the time called the Wall Street Common. It was a new co-working space. So they they gave me some, some space to use and gave me a great deal on rent, which was really nice. And I started super chill. So another thing in business that I'm really big on is test your product. Like see if mm. people even want it before you yep. spend money. So... I call this like my coffee cart and it was a coffee cart, but now I use this uh, analogy all the time when talking to other entrepreneurs or when we're, we're looking at different projects. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's your coffee cart idea? So I got a super small loan of $15,000 through Futurepreneur and I spent the money on really good coffee equipment. I had, um, 
Noah from Green Arc build me this awesome portable coffee cart that breaks down and we just started with events. So we did everything from Taste of Saskatchewan our first year to weddings, businesses, and we would show up on location. They'd hire us. We'd make drinks for their guests and their staff and turned out people really liked our product. And so we did that. But we didn't even start with our own beans. Like we were working with Rosso at the time in Calgary and uh, they were mentoring me as well at the time. And uh, we were just playing around with roasting because we didn't have a product that was ready to be released. Right. Right. So how long did you like, how long was that process of, of um, training yourself or educating yourself before you felt comfortable doing it yourself? Like you went and learned the tricks of the barista, you mentored a little bit and then what did it take to get the confidence to be like, okay, now I'm ready to go make some beans and make this happen? I think, it, you know, it was probably about a couple years total um, before we launched our coffee, probably nine months into road, we launched our own coffee, but I have been researching coffee since I was 14. Right. Mm-hmm. So the depth of knowledge was already there, just needed a little bit of like more confidence to get me going. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But once we got going, there was a depth of knowledge that already existed. Okay. What was your biggest challenge getting this thing up and off the ground then? What was the biggest roadblock that you faced getting open and running? Oh, man. Or, I, or, the, or 10. If you, yeah, <laughs> you don't have to pick one. I think it was like bringing some of the puzzle pieces together. I think I've always had uh, a huge ambition and big dreams and wanting to do all the things. And I think it was like learning to do the small things first, learning to walk before I could sprint Mm because I wanted to come out the gate sprinting. Right. So slowing down was probably one of my roadblocks. I was going to say, like, even from the start when you decided to get a job elsewhere to learn, you, you were exercising like a patience that maybe many people don't have you know what I mean? Like some people want yeah. to do something and they either, they jump right in, they just do it or they get scared because they don't know all the steps, but you were like, you were kind of smart about it. You're like, I can go kind of like, I my from craft these a little bit and yeah. be patient with it a little bit. I think part of that comes from, I've, I've always tried to surround myself with good people and good leaders and good mentors. And I, I feel like I was really supported by the business community in Saskatoon. And I felt like there was a lot of awesome business owners around me that I was able to pick their brains and ask their advice. And so I think a lot of the right decisions I made came from mm. just having good people speak into my life. So how did you get connected with that community? They were really helpful in mentoring you, but how did they find out about you in the first place? Were you out there? I, I was. I definitely was going to a lot of marketing events, networking events. Um, one mentor though, I've known um, my entire life. So just happens to be a really good family friend and also very involved in the business community in Saskatchewan and internationally. So really lucky to have someone like that in my life. Another cool story though, um, for one of my mentors is they actually walked into the wall street common one day and ordered a coffee from me and we got chatting and I'm one of those people that has like a hundred ideas a day. And that day I just happened to want to start a bus cafe, like turn a bus into a cafe. Right. Okay. And then turns out this guy owns a bus company. (laughs) (laughs) Like I didn't know that, but he comes up to me like a week later and he's like, Hey Alicia, I talked to my business partner and we want to give you a bus. (laughs) You were like, yeah, uh, mm, that was last week. That was last week. I'm like, literally though, I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, did you want to, what? Didn't you want to start a bus cafe? And I was like, no, that, what? That was like the idea of the day. <laughs> and he was like, oh, okay. Well, he's like, anyway, I, I'd like to mentor you if you're open to it. And uh, he's been one of my mentors ever since. The cool thing is, is he was in food and beverage for a very long time before that. He, uh, I'm sure you've heard of Drake Meats. He worked yeah. with them a long time. He was the CEO of that company for a long time. And so he has a lot of knowledge in my industry. So it's been a really beneficial um, mentor-mentee relationship. That's wow. really, really cool. That's super cool. I think there's a lot of... Um, like that's the value of networking and just getting out there and telling people your ideas because mm-hmm. like everybody's got that story where shit just works out because some like, and you don't even know how to explain it. And if you're not in it sharing and like it happens to you, you can't even understand why it would work. Like yeah. 
you didn't fall through with the bus cafe idea, but if you would have told somebody else, like family and friends be like, I'm going to start a bus cafe. And the first question would be, well, where the hell are you going to get a bus? <laughs> where do you find a and bus? And why would you even think that? Totally. Like, so you want to start a bus, you're going to buy a hundred thousand dollar bus and turn it into a, like, it, it doesn't make sense, but because you kind of put it out there, yeah, it like somehow finds a way, like it's a super cool story. Totally. I, I have this theory and I'm not sure. Here's a question for you guys, sure. if I may. Yeah. Whoa. Do, you, do you think, you know how like entrepreneurs, like stuff just happens for them, like mm -hmm. you mentioned? Yeah. Do you think it's because there's this weird thing that's unexplainable that just happens to entrepreneurs or do you think it's because they're looking for it and uh. it happens to everybody, but not everybody's paying attention? That. So yeah, I yeah. love this question because I've asked it a million times before because yeah. there is the whole, the whole, um, the secret about like it, ask the universe for something and it'll. The secret? You yeah, mean? exactly. <laughs> the whole secret. And, 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 and it'll, it'll kind of come to you, the universe will respond. And I've always been like, it's true, but not because of any sort of magic. It's because if you become hyper-focused on something, um, you kind of like bring it to life yourself through your transactions and your focus and your friendships and your networking and everything else. Yeah. And versus the person who sits at home and just like dreams about it happening, but doesn't actually take any action towards it. Like, mm -hmm. so yeah, I think a lot of entrepreneurs have a story where it's like, yeah, the universe kind of came calling for me that time, but it was because of all the things you did to lead up to it. You talked to the right people, you shared your ideas, you had a passion, you were focused. Yeah. Well, and being hyper-focused tends to like make you hyper aware too, right? Correct. True. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. You're ready for those. People moments. always say you, you find what you're looking for, right? Whether that's because you're looking for or it. Positivity. <laughs> like, that's true. Yeah. So really cool. So the, the first couple of years of road, then once you get it off the ground, what were they like? How did the first couple of years go? They were such a grind. I remember working like around the clock, like most entrepreneurs. And I think the hardest thing is I, you know, you don't know what you don't know, mm -hmm. right? So you're like, oh, I don't know. I need to learn X, Y, Z. And so you end up focusing on the wrong things. And for me, focus is a struggle. This season I'm in right now is probably the most focused I've ever been. And the people in my life can tell. They're like, whoa, where's this been? You know, in the last like five years. I'm like, well, I guess you need a global pandemic to kick you in the butt. <laughs> um, but it was a lot of work, a lot of hustle, a lot of trying new things, meeting lots of people. I feel like one thing I focused on from the beginning was just relationship building mm -hmm. with the community, with the coffee community, with the business community, with the nonprofits in the city. We kind of just got the name out there. And a lot of it was events, events, and then learning how to be a good roaster. Was yeah. that difficult? Like, did that take a lot of energy and focus and yeah. practicing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of those batches at the beginning were so bad. You know, like, I remember being, like, like trying to come up with blends at the beginning. or It's a very, very scientific process once you get into it. Right. And the smallest tweak, you know, we are they're roasting um, at the roastery this morning and like the smallest tweak in airflow or temperature right. can completely change the entire batch. So I'm not a very detailed person, which is why I don't roast anymore. But, <laughs> at, you know, at the start, like I was doing everything right. I was roasting. And so I had to learn those skills and I had to hone those skills till I could afford to hire someone to do it better than I can. Right. And when did that happen? When did you hire... When did you kind of distance yourself from the day-to-day -day operations and bring people on? I started slowly. So I started with like first one part-time staff and they started with like packaging and, and then eventually got another staff on. And so that was, I probably hired my first employee in year two. The first couple of years were a little slow. I wasn't like really sure what direction I was taking road in, even though we had direct contacts with farmers, we were working with, you know, directly with farmers in Guatemala and Costa Rica. I still didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. So yeah. it feels like strange looking back on that. Cause I'm like, what was that? Like, wow, I'm surprised <laughs> I got to where I am. That's great. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I was fumbling around the first couple of years, um, but I think it was laying the foundation of good business. Yeah. Right. Was it, and it was just you? For the first for the year. First yeah. Year? Yeah. No investors, no, no like partners, no help. No, I, I am surrounded by amazing friends and an amazing community. Yeah. Even now, like I had, I had friends going out the other day, dropping off flyers for oh, wow. our, we recently launched in Sobeys. And so 
I have friends like literally offering to drop off flyers in those neighborhoods where the Sobies are to push the product. And so I feel like I've, you know, luckily by building my relationships and keeping them a focus over time, it, if people are in your corner, you know, they want to help, they want to see you move forward. And yeah, I've been grateful to have that. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, speaking of people helping, I remember back, um, just about five years ago now, when we opened our first location, we had all that support and help too. It was like friends and family were there. They were helping us put together the showroom. They were doing all this stuff, whatever. When we moved to our second location, nobody, <laughs> nobody. <laughs> it was like all of a sudden you've been around a couple of years. You're like, oh no, you got this. Like, yeah, you know how to do this. We're not worried about you anymore. Right? Exactly. <laughs> um, do you remember the, uh, like, I guess, do you still work with the first uh, farmer that you imported coffee from? We do on and off, but sometimes it's hard to, if, if a local uh, co-op or somebody gets in there first and can kind of like offer them something better or that looks better immediately, Mm -hmm. um, we don't always, but we do, we do still work with, um, some of those same Guatemalan farmers that we first started with. Yeah. Nice. So, so for like the co-ops when they, when they come in and they offer they offer these farmers something it's usually like i'll buy your whole crop type deals or yeah yeah it's usually like what's the dirty what's the dirty business in coffee it's it is it's tricky so, <laughs> so sometimes what happens what happens more often than not is a big player will say hey we need x amount of containers of coffee from costa rica and they'll go say that to the big big co-ops then the co-ops will go out to the farmers because the farmers don't have access right they don't have access right. to, to to sell their actual crop right so they'll go out to the farmers and they'll say hey you know what no one wants to buy coffee this year you're not gonna you're not gonna really make much money this is what this is what we'll give you i guess we'll, we'll we'll try and do you a favor okay we'll give you this much per pound and it'll be significantly less than what they could make especially in a place like costa rica where their coffee is really really good and sells for really high in the Western world on this part of the supply chain. So <laughs> this happened actually a couple of years ago and it, uh, it was bad. It like devastated, um, it devastated like the coffee scene um, a couple of years ago in Costa Rica, but we have really strong relationships in Costa Rica. So we were still able to buy our coffee directly from the farmers we work with. Wow. What is, why have they not, revolted a little bit yeah it just seems like such a bad idea from the big businesses is there not enough people like you that are there like there's just too much supply for the direct guys are going to treat them well to take it all so then they're kind of forced into these bad co-op deals or yeah a lot of it is just like the systems that are in place and the farmers not having access to the smaller guys that that do care because i think there are there are a lot of good people out there, right? Yeah. It's not like every other person that owns a coffee company is bad. No, yeah. I, I know a lot of great people that own coffee companies right. that, like you said, they're so busy doing everything else to keep their company alive and growing that they don't have time to connect with farmers and try and do all this extra stuff that we're doing. So I, I think a lot of it is just the disconnect. And that's what we're trying to build, like build the bridges between farmers and and roasters and coffee consumers. Right. Okay. Now you seem to have a lot of pride in um, buying or working with uh, areas that aren't necessarily known for being coffee, big coffee markets like Laos. Why? What's the? Why did you decide to kind of seek those places out? I guess first of all, let's answer that question. And then there'll be ten more after that. For <laughs> sure. I think the coffee industry is constantly changing and growing. And one thing I've learned is as the world is changing, the industry shifting and they're starting to grow coffee in places where traditionally they haven't. Mm-hmm. And Laos is one of those locations. So we've been working with Laos for three years now. And after the first year we were working with them, Blue Bottle got a hold of some of their coffee and had heard about it oh, wow. and tried to buy up the entire crop that, that including the stuff that we were going to buy. They were pretty small compared to blue bottle in the States Yeah, yeah. that is now owned by, I'm pretty sure Nestle, but, yeah. um, who, yeah, <laughs> yeah. who's that? Oh, uh, some big company, some big company. Somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so part of it is, um, 
Lao in particular is is another underdeveloped country. They're an emerging market. Um, most coffee farmers in Lao don't have access to clean water. So part of why we took on the Lao project, we work with our our Lao our Lao coffee farmers, is because the people on the ground are actually a nonprofit. And all the money from their sales, so we buy the coffee at a, at a decent price, at a fair, like an actual fair price, um, and all that money is actually going back into investing into the farmers and getting clean water to communities that don't have clean water yet. Wow. So wow. if we can use business for social change, I'm all about that. I don't think everything has to be nonprofit or charity work. I think we can still make money, still have healthy businesses and do good things at the same time. Do you feel that by kind of getting into places like Lao first and um, doing business the way you do business, mm. is, there, is that creating barriers for the big guys to come in? Because if farmers like what do you mean you want to pay me 25 cents in the dollar from what these guys are paying me? There's got to be more like, are you able to kind of create yourself a competitive advantage by being there first that, that you've kind of generated some like the farmers, like giving them the confidence to have pushback on some of these bad deals. Yeah. Or? I think, I think that definitely helps having strong people on the ground that work with the farmers help. So we work with this organization called philanthropy um, translated into English. Uh, I won't try and say the loud name, <laughs> but having them work on the ground with the farmers is super helpful. So one thing we don't do is we don't just leave the farmers hanging in every location. We still work with some middlemen because, because those people are the ones that can help the farmers day to day, right? Like right. if they have like questions about their crop and the agriculture, like road coffee can't <laughs> be there for them to help them and just drive out to their farm. Right. Right. And so there are some middlemen that are super important. And I think like mm -hmm. part of our job is just identifying which ones are the ones we want to partner with and which ones maybe have their own interests at heart and not the farmers. Right. So how did you discover that Lao was a, was a market where you could get good coffee from? that was untapped. Like I actually heard about it through a friend of a friend and now that friend isn't even in coffee anymore. So, you know, there is a lot of turnover in coffee. A lot of the exporters and people that I had been working with from the beginning aren't in the industry anymore, which is a totally separate, yeah. interesting fact. Um, but he connected me to them a few years ago and, and I just happened to like the coffee, like yeah. the people like the purpose. I mean, clean water, you can't really argue with that. Yeah, nope. yeah, exactly. Are you on the lookout for other markets that are similar to that, that are a little bit undiscovered constantly or? We are. There's actually, at a meeting yesterday with a farmer that I randomly got connected to through uh, someone in Saskatoon and LinkedIn, but um, it's a different area in Ethiopia that is producing coffee. And like, we have an amazing Ethiopia coffee from the Yurgashev area. It's one of the top selling coffees in the world, coffee from Ethiopia Yurgashev. Now this is a different region. So part of me is a little hesitant to try it, but again, you know, who knows, maybe this could yeah. be the next best coffee out of Ethiopia, but it's a totally different area of the country. So I'm really excited to get some hands on, on some samples and give it a try. So when you get hands on samples, uh, like, what are you talking about? Ro already roasted coffee or green coffee coming in? Just the green coffee. Yeah. So we always want to sample roast our own coffee okay. to the way that, you know, we would dial it in and we would roast to see if it fits our flavor profiles and the quality. The biggest thing is, uh, you know, coffee roasting is great or coffee in general is roast. Sorry. <laughs> Coffee is graded on a Q grader scale. It's equivalent to like a sommelier. So yeah. 60 to 80 is commercial, 80 plus is speciality. So we don't buy anything under an 84 point coffee. Right. Okay, okay cool. And then did your um, roasting parameters or process change depending on where the beans come from? Or do you have like, it, they all go into the same cycle? No, no, no. Every, every coffee has its own roast profile and it's dialed in. Uh, close to perfection. Um, sometimes being in Saskatchewan, the weather can affect your roasting a lot. So sometimes even like 
the roast for our Columbia might change from summer to winter just slightly. Because of the humidity, the dryness? Yep, because of the humidity, because of the temperature outside. Mm. Um, All things that we've spent years (laughs) dialing in and and talking to industry professionals on the West Coast and being like, oh, you never have this issue? Oh, we have this issue. Okay, why is that? Oh my gosh, it's because we have minus 40 days. Yeah. So it, it is an interesting process, but to answer your question, yes, we have different roast profiles for every single coffee we work with. How long does that take to dial in a new bean every, like, yeah, I was going to say, like, how do you even start? It takes months. <laughs> <laughs> Holy smokes. Um, like, is that expensive? Is that a big investment? Cause you have to buy so many beans to, to burn, <laughs> like to. Well, we do small batches. So when we're sample roasting, we often only roast about 200 grams at a time. Oh, okay. That's not, yeah. that's not a lot. And we'll start at like, we have a few base roasts that we kind of start something at. And then we usually have an idea of where we want to land. So then we'll tweak things according to what we're trying to get mm-hmm. out of the coffee. I know you said that you're not yet on the radar of the, the big nasties is that we're calling them now. Big nasties. I think that's, I like that. Okay. So the big nasties, <laughs> uh, have you run into resistance from maybe not the big guys, but other people along the way that are, that are not liking the disruption that you're kind of bringing hmm. to the industry? Has anybody come up to you and been like, fuck off. <laughs> this is not how we do things here. Yeah. A little bit. Like people challenging bit. you a bit. Yeah. yeah um, especially more in the States, like mm. some of the people that we work with, cause people, there's a lot of people that are a part of the industry that don't do much and make a lot. Right. So right. there's like, there's a whole industry on coffee trading where you can just sit at your laptop all day and buy and sell coffee. They're just, their coffee stocks yeah buy and sell coffee and they will never touch the coffee they'll never see the coffee but they're buying the coffee low selling the coffee high from my perspective i don't think we need those people in our industry i think those margins can be broken up between other people in the supply chain whether it's a cafe owner Mm -hmm. you know or a barista or a farmer um or a coffee picker right you don't yeah. need this pig in the middle gulping up a bunch of margins. Dude, forgive me if I'm wrong. Coffee stocks. Yeah. Was that not a name that we, was that literally not a name that we had thought of for this podcast? Yeah. Something like that. It was like coffee stocks. Yeah. That's, I think that's what we were thinking. Of. Coffee stocks or coffee talks? No coffee, coffee stocks. stocks. Cause we drink so much coffee. When it was kind of like, podcast. we're going to talk to entrepreneurs that you know, entrepreneurs crush coffee so much so that you could buy, you should buy stocks and coffee. Like it's the dumb naming process of trying to name everything, anything. Right. But I, I think that one was in there. Okay. How oh, my mind is so blown right now with all this stuff. Yeah, I'm learning this so much. Cool. Um, okay. So you're, you're five years in now. This is year five. How have, have your goals changed from when you started off being a bit naive to, um, the whole process? Have your goals changed with what you're trying to do or you, or no? They have on a micro level, not on a macro level. So by that, I mean, okay. So back in the day, I did want to start a cafe Mm -hmm. and I was pretty dead set on it. And then one of my mentors would always challenge me on it. And they're like, your passion and your vision has more to do with the farmers Mm -hmm. and the other side of the industry. Do you think like, don't you think a cafe would distract you? And I was like, no, you don't even know me. This is the mentor that's known me my entire life. Yeah. And he'd be like, ah, sure, okay. He had a lot of patience, still does. Yeah. Um, so I think I gave up on, on some of the small things I wanted that wouldn't necessarily move the needle for the goal. Mm-hmm. I remember driving to um, Regina one, t- one time with uh, Sean from Nine Mile and uh, we both had business out there. So we were, we were going back and forth and carpooling a couple times and, and I remember him asking me like, Hey Alicia, like you have this dream, you have this goal of wanting to move the needle in your industry. How is what you're doing right now actually going to do that? And, uh, in the next day I had, uh, my co-director of Gen Next for United Way asked me the same thing. And I was like, okay, <laughs> oh no, you know, if something happens two days in a row, that's not by accident. And so yeah. I remember like being super like frustrated with myself and discouraged and being like, how am I really moving the needle? And I remember that was kind of a turning point for me where I decided to go back to the drawing board and really focus on what change I was trying to make and 
and try and stay focused on that, which yeah. is again, as I mentioned, you know, focus has often been, you know, my biggest challenge. Yeah. Do you, um, so I guess what, it, before we get away from that, what did you do then to, to refocus yourself? Yeah. So you got told us two days in a row that you're like, you're a little bit aimless right now. You're shipping the night. What, what, um, intentional things did you do to kind of refocus yourself or find that? Yeah. So I remember not being able to sleep the next night and I, I got up, it was like two in the morning. I got one of those like giant stacks of paper out really big pieces of paper yeah. and I, I just like put it out on the kitchen table and I just started drawing out my vision. I started drawing out like the whole supply chain, where the problems were, what my passion was, what my vision was and, um, and what problems we might actually be able to solve. And so that's where I started really kind of honing in on at the end of the day, what I want to try and do, what I want road to try and do is help move coffee farmers out of poverty into independence and freedom. And that's when we started kind of, kind of narrowing our focus and had, you know, less talk about opening a cafe right. and kind of started down the journey of our beyond fair program yeah. and what we're doing with that. Which is a, it's a micro loan program, right? That's a big part of it. Yeah. As well as paying coffee farmers above cost of goods okay. and some of the educational pieces. Okay. What are, what's, what are the educational pieces? Can you expand on that a little bit? For sure. So, um, the best way to explain it is let me use this micro loan project, for example. So this last year we launched our micro loans with co-op Peru and our friends on the ground there that work in both Colombia and Peru. And the main part of the project was to help Co-op Peru and these coffee farmers purchase stainless steel fermentation tanks. So the way coffee farmers traditionally have fermented their coffee in the past is just digging a hole in the ground and throwing right. in the coffee cherries because that's the tech that they have available, right? right? And obviously stainless steel tanks are going to make a huge difference in the process in the quality of that final, final cup of coffee. Okay. So what we did is we didn't just give them the finances to purchase the equipment. We had our friends on the ground work with them throughout the entire season, mm. um, testing different um, ratios, different approaches to how to use the tanks and best practices so that now this year, you know, they can use those tanks again and they have the education to go with it. It's not just fumbling around trying to right. figure it out on their own. Yeah. And so is that what these micro loans are being used for typically is equipment upgrades, like production efficiencies? Yeah, it, it can be equipment. It can be um, pre-harvest stuff like fertilizer. That's one of the biggest expenses for a coffee farmer is fertilizer. Okay. Yet they need that to even get to harvest. Right. So sometimes it can be for that or potentially just getting through harvest and paying their pickers. That's another big one. And, you know, coffee farmers, they want to pay their pickers well as well, right? Like they don't want to, you know, screw over ne the next person in line. Yeah, right. There is a new generation of coffee farmers that are trying to pay their people above cost of goods and a living wage met some amazing young farmers in Colombia this year, just before COVID hit. And it's awesome. Like these are young people, they're around my age, they're taking over the family business mm -hmm. and they're changing things because they, they know coffee's not going anywhere, but they know they need different systems to have a sustainable lifestyle. Yeah. Let's bring this home a little bit again, back to Saskatoon and um, the wholesale slash retail side of your business. It's, it sounds like you're primarily B2B. You're selling to other um, coffee houses, essentially, or retail shops. We we have two main arms. We do have our B2B, which okay. is cafes, restaurants, and we have an amazing corporate program. We work with some of the best offices in the province. And we also have a really strong online store. Awesome. Okay, so you're selling beans to anybody who wants to buy yeah, Coffee we online. have subscriptions uh, coast to coast across the country. Oh, wow. Cool. So where I'm going with these questions is how are you promoting, the, how are you getting new clientele? Like what's your marketing like? Mm. How do you get your brand out there? How are you acquiring new business? We do a lot of online stuff. We, we definitely try and take the same approach online as we do in our offline marketing. So we focus on relationships. We focus on... Uh, people in our target markets that we want to build relationships. And now some of that is online. So instead of like grabbing a, a coffee with someone, we're messaging people on Instagram, getting to know them, like asking them about their passions. Um, 
as well as um, some some fun guerrilla marketing stuff we've tried this year that's been really good. Right now we're in the middle of a, a pilot project with Sobeys, which is really fun, and and we're it's a whole new a whole new world for us. We're like, okay, how do we market yeah. to these people that are walking into a grocery store? Sure, and we're wanting them to choose us, which is a higher end, more expensive product right. than some of our competitors the big nasties that's right big nasties um what are some of those tactics you've used like guerrilla marketing what's some stuff that's worked well for you uh we definitely do a lot of in-person stuff we're uh we're doing a like flatter bit uh blitz right now which is kind of fun and a little old school super so old school right i was <laughs> i was not like stoked on it at first but it's i think what i'm learning and i'm reopening my mind to is just because we're in a modern age and everything is digital not everything is digital yep 100 percent I agree. So we've, I've had a number of conversations with um, other local entrepreneurs. I haven't tried billboards. They're trying billboards right now. I'm curious, I'm kind of watching, see how it goes for them. Yeah. See if we should give it a try. Um, it is a little tricky right now because you can't do tastings. You can't do a lot of things in person. How do you, are you, is all this stuff in house? Are you kind of managing that or do you work with an agency to handle some of the stuff with you for you we do a lot of it in-house now just this last year we've pulled a lot more in-house just because we're realizing we can execute on yeah. a on a high level uh we've worked with a number of agencies we do work uh, very closely with lmno and billy the kid they did our rebrand brand recently and cool. our packaging looks absolutely amazing we're really excited about it uh, i've actually worked with um Taylor Pfeiffer on our brand identity since the beginning. Oh, so wow. yeah, he did our, our first brand identity, our first packaging, and now he was able to take the lead on our second round and we're really happy with it. So sometimes I, I, uh, I connect with him if I'm going to make any big brand decisions and just make sure he's, yeah. uh, he thinks it's a good idea. Yep. What are, do you have other people aside from the mentor you've referenced a few times that you bounce big decisions off of? So if it's a brand play, you bounce it off him, but is there just like general business um, decisions? Are you bouncing it off somebody other than your mentor or? For sure. Like we definitely go to the team first and I always ask my, my advice for my team, see what yeah. they think, because I think great ideas can come from in-house and my staff often think of things that I would never think of, mm -hmm. um, which is cool. And yeah. the whole point of team. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, and then from there, we usually talk to a lot of our, our friends in similar industries. Like I love chatting with people in uh, the distilling industry or the brewing industry mm -hmm. about what they're working on, what might work. And then I have a number of mentors across uh, Canada, including like <laughs> was really lucky to meet um, Amber Mack uh, through the Her Turn uh, program or competition that competition, I won this last yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. And so she's been working with us on our, our video series, which is awesome. I'm learning so much because she's developed so many shows that yeah. it's like second nature to her. So it's really cool working with, with her and then even... Um, Actually, An Andrew Van Leeuwen from Facebook Canada came to Columbia with us. Oh, wow. And wow. met some of our farmers. And it's been cool just learning from someone like that uh, at such a high level. Um, and then trying to apply it at yeah. where we're at has been a fun challenge. But, you know, again, serendipitous, right? Like, yeah. you can't make that stuff up. No. Tell us a bit more about the business competition that you won. What it was how you won it, how that, like how that helped your business. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was this, this online show that they put on called her turn, um, to highlight Canadian female business owners, entrepreneurs. And so we, we entered the competition, we ended up placing top three. And from there, they had a number of challenges for us to do from Saskatoon. So Amber Max located in Toronto, and the judges are were across from Canada. We had to complete all of our challenges. There were marketing challenges, sales challenges, um, brand challenges, oh, strategy wow. challenges. It was so much fun, and it it really even got me thinking as an entrepreneur on like that next level of like, yeah. okay, like just big questions from big leaders, right? And then uh, being in the top three, they flew me out for the finale to Toronto. Um, 
Uh, so I got to go for that. And we had a live event with uh, Facebook, BDC, and um, PayPal Canada, which was awesome. And Amramac hosted it. And I happened to come out the winner and Road Coffee took home um, the, the prize, the cash prize. prize, and the ability to work closely with these mentors. And it was, it was quite the ride. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Amazing. And then you basically took that, the, 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 prize and that's kind of helped you fund your micro lending totally 100 percent. so it came right at the right time where we were able to just jump right in and not skip a beat and uh get moving on our micro loan program that's so amazing good yeah, for you that's, that's crazy. a really cool story um what's your day-to-day -day look like now like it's obviously your role has changed i'm sure a million times from the time you first opened this place to now you have a staff on you like what do you do day-to-day I feel like my job has changed a million times since like the pandemic started. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, it, it has, it really has. So I, I did have to jump in a bit back on operations for a while there yeah. a few months ago um, just to make sure things were, were moving and grooving and things were moving forward. But recently I've been able to step away from operations completely again and just focus on business development and marketing. Mm. I personally love branding and marketing. And so that's where I, I like to spend my time. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of my focus is meeting with people, figuring out how we're going to tell the story of the farmers and, and looking for new, new relationships, both to sell the coffee, but also new farmer relationships that we can foster. Mm -hmm. What's the end goal or what are your kind of long-term goals for road? Do you have like expansion plans in mind or... Definitely, definitely. At some point? Or? Potentially an exit. I think there's definitely things um, I still want to see happen. And I think, you know, I, I am still the right person to be steering this ship, at least yeah. for now. Uh, I'd like to see us take on numerous more microloan projects and make more of an impact with farmers. And I'd love to see us continue to grow across Canada, coast to coast. Yeah. What, does that, what does that look like? Grow is in like customer base grow or grow is in open up? additional customer base okay. customer yeah. base uh yes I, we are we are growing with our wholesale clients outside of the province right now which is exciting um and our online sales and i think there is still a large market in canada and we're in a generation where a lot more people are moving from drinking commercial coffee to speciality coffee right wanting ah. to enjoy a yeah. higher yeah, higher, exactly. higher quality experience feels like it yeah, yeah. if tomorrow coffee became bad <laughs> like let's imagine if, that if you ended if you ended road coffee tomorrow it's like say someone came in and bought it out off of you what would the next chapter of your life look like coffee's gone coffee's gone coffee's no more coffee gone. can't even not even allowed to drink it <laughs> i think it could look like a few different things i i definitely think i would be doing something in media i love media i love storytelling um I also love empowering other entrepreneurs and other people pursuing their passions. So it would probably be some sort of mentorship role. One thing I want to do eventually is start some sort of entrepreneur program that empowers and equips entrepreneurs to pursue their passions. So teaching them some of the skills that you know, you're not going to necessarily learn with a university degree. Um, and then you know, I'd love to have that program end with like, like a pitch program even and connecting them directly with investors if that's what their company needs. Right. So while we're on that topic, if you could, let's start now. If you could say something to, or give a piece of advice to some budding entrepreneurs that want to get yep. out there and do their own thing, maybe they don't know what it is. What would your advice be now for somebody just kind of that wants to get started, but doesn't know where to turn? It would be start small, figure out what, first I, I would say, figure out your why. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people start things, but they don't know why they're doing what they do and they end up lost. But mm -hmm. if you know your why, you always have that North star to look to. So when the days are shitty, when yeah. you're tired and exhausted, you can remind yourself of your why and you're going to be okay. Yeah. So start with why and then start small. What's your coffee cart idea? What's that small first thing you can do before just throwing money at something to see if it's going to work or not? Right. Right. How do you test the market? That's right. How do you feel about post-secondary education now? Having lived your own business world, doing your own thing for five years, somebody coming out of high school, it's like, should I go to school? Should I not go to school? What's your, what's your take? 
I think it depends on what you want to do. You know, I know I don't want to go to a doctor that hasn't been to post-secondary <laughs> school for that. I Googled it. Hey, yeah. that's right. I don't know. I looked up WebMD. It's fine. Yeah, You're yeah, going to be okay. You'll be okay. You've a headache, but you might have cancer. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think it, I do think it depends on what you want to do. I think we're also, though, living in a day and age where you can learn most things by putting in the work. Yeah. Mm. You know, like I can learn anything about a car or a lot of different areas, how to build something. Like I could probably learn how to build a house just from research, yeah. Yeah. but you have to be willing to put in the work. Yeah. So I think it depends on, you know, are you willing to put in the work? I think there's a lot of people that dream big. And I think this is the entrepreneurial curse. Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur right now. It's really cool. It's really sexy, but like, are you willing to put in the work? It's not easy. I'm, you yeah. know, you, I'm sure you yeah. guys know it's, it's hard work. It's long hours. Yeah. And so yeah, I think it depends on the person. I like, I don't know if you listen to, and this will lead into our next question. I don't know if you listen to Gary Vaynerchuk or any of these kind of like motivational guys, whatever that talk, right? But I love that he always, anytime he's doing like a, like some sort of presentation or keynote in front of an audience and somebody stands up and be like, well, I have this idea. And his friend, he's always like, ideas are shit. Yeah. I, we all have ideas, yeah. right? It's, it's whether you put in the work and actually follow it through. And so I love that inspiration from him because it's true. Like I, before I did anything, I had a million and one ideas. And to your point, you have a hundred mm -hmm. a day that just like fly around that become nothing. So what's an idea? Like an idea is not proprietary to anybody. You mm -hmm. don't own ideas, right? Yeah. So um, on that note, are there podcasts, books, people you listen to that are helpful on your day-to-day -to, -day to kind of guide you strategically? that you want to share with people? For sure. I actually do love Gary Vee as well. Mm -hmm. We're implementing one of his strategies right now. And of course it's working. The, yep. uh, <laughs> the dollar 80 strategy. Yep. If you don't know it, look it up, yeah. check it out, apply it to your business. It works. And other than Gary Vee, I love Simon Sinek. He's one of my favorite people. I was going to say, you said start with why. Yeah, so. yeah, that's exactly. right. That's right. It's the first thing I did before I started my company is I read that book and I've been, um, eating up his content ever since. I think he's got such a strong leadership perspective and he, he really understands empathy and team and leadership. And I think that's really rare in our day and age. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think it's one of those things like, like leadership just in general in our day and age, because people get promoted for skill-based things, but no one knows how to lead people. It's very true. You don't go to school to be a leader. You go to school to do something. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, doing what you're doing is incredibly stressful. Uh, entrepreneurs have stresses that other people couldn't even imagine. No way. Nine, <laughs> nine to five jobs. Yes. Eventually, eventually every entrepreneur burns out at some point and finds themselves in a bit of a funk. How do you bring yourself out of that funk? Are you aware of it when you're mentally in a funk and how do you get yourself out of it? I think I've hit that funk, to use your words, uh, a few times that now I am aware what I'm heading in that direction. Yeah. And I have these five tanks that I talk about. I, I They often come up in my speaking engagements and they're, there's tanks I believe we all have, emotional, physical, mental, spiritual, and relational. And the way we fill up these tanks are all different because we're all uniquely different, Yeah. Mm -hmm. right? And so the way I fill up, you know, if I haven't worked out all week and I'm eating garbage food, you know, I'll, I'll probably, on Sundays, I look at my tanks and I'm like, I don't feel that good physically. And I'm like, oh, okay, I should hit the gym this week and maybe eat a salad. Right. So I try and like do what I need so that I'm not gonna constantly run towards burnout. But on the occurrence that that happens now, like it did in, it did in this last season. And I just, I'm, I've learned that I need to just shut off. So like even recently I, I left the city for a number of days. I left my staff in charge and I just needed to shut off completely, put my phone away yeah. and just like reconnect with myself and, and kind of recenter everything. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So important. I think you've got, probably one of the better answers we've heard for that question and that oh, you definitely. really have identified the. there's maybe not one answer to get yourself out of a funk. You got to look at why what you got area? there. What's right. Yeah. Whatever your life puts you there and how do you kind of work you out of it? And I think like really importantly, you're aware when you're getting there. Right. Yeah. I think people have had people uh, lovingly call me out when, uh, you know, I was in that red zone and like, yeah. it's not good, right? Like no. you don't feel good. You're when you're on burnout, you're not, loving the people around you well, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's your staff or your family or your friends. And so I think it's important and entrepreneurs need to, to look at that and take more responsibility of that. I think 
often we have neglected that and the people around us pay the price. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that's fair. And I feel like that's something that I want to get better at. Mm -hmm. And I want to encourage other entrepreneurs to do the same. Yeah. I I think I've come to a bit of self-discovery this year too, for whatever reason, maybe it was as a result of the extra added stress of the pandemic, but I also feel like I've become more aware of when I'm in that funk or I'm burnt out or when I'm not treating people around me the way I should be like, I can identify that now at least. And then I know to keep my mouth shut sometimes. Like yeah, I'm not fair. in the right headspace right now to be discussing this with you. Nothing is, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But then usually I think when you are able to identify that you're there, it's way easier to call yourself out. You can kind of like snap out of it and be like, okay, I got to do something to get myself out of this. Yeah. And like pretty empowering, I think. Yeah. Um, have you ever done a float session? I haven't. I'm kind of scared of them. Are you? For <laughs> what's bit. what's scary? Claustrophobia? A little bit. I, even on planes, sometimes I actually get a little, just a little claustrophobic. I like yeah. to sit in the aisle seat, and stillness is a struggle for me. Like I'm trying to meditate. I'm trying to get better at it, but I don't. I yeah. Have you? Shane, I've Shane has. I've yeah. done one. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a while ago. Okay. Your fears are legit. <laughs> <laughs> it happened. <laughs> So are you worried that you can't turn off and just like, is that what scares you? Like you're, you're I, I think it's a mix of the claustrophobia and then, yeah, my brain will just be cruising and I'm going to be stuck in this spot for like yeah, I think 40 minutes or whatever. I'm no expert, but I, I, from what I was told before I went to my first one, you should not be a one and done. You should, you should commit to going a few times because they told me straight up my first time and I've only been once. They told me going in is like the first time's the hardest. Like you're not going to be able to, if you're the type of person that can't turn your brain off, it's not going to happen today. You got to learn how to do that. And so that's for sure what happened to me. I was in there just a million and one ideas and thinking about everything except for relaxing. And so I'm laying there still. And for a while I was like, well, this is really cool. And then you start thinking and it's like, why am I in here? Why? I've got so much shit to do. <laughs> I should be somewhere else. So, but yeah, I, I think everybody should try it. Everybody should try it. Some yeah. people, like we've done some interviews like, like with Shayna from um, Ride, Ride, YXE. Ride YXE. They love it. They, they have like a subscription. Really? Yeah. Well, I trust her. I may enough to give it a try. Yeah. yeah they're like religious about it. She's like, that's my only time. She's got five kids. Yeah. It's exactly. my only time to turn everything off. It's yeah. my only like isolated moment. So she loves it. Okay. So final question. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere in the world with anything on it, what would you say to get your message out there? What would it be? anything that's a really good question it'll probably be something around encouraging people to live out their passions live yeah. out their dreams i think life's so short and like selfishly like yeah i'm like oh i could say this for road i could say something about like you know with every each bag you buy you're impacting the lives of smallholder coffee farmers yeah moving them towards independence and freedom. But I think it would just go back to like encouraging that individual to like live out their passion. Nice. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Do you do a lot of, it's not the last question. It was until she said that answer. (laughs) No, I have another one. Do you do a lot of public speaking and promoting of entrepreneurship now? Yeah, I do a fair bit. It's slowed down a little bit with um, the current situation, but I've done a number of online chats and uh, even had a, at a, keynote speaking engagement recently which was really fun it was like mostly online but a little bit in person right. and they still like did up the room really fancy and everything so it was it was a lot of fun yeah i do enjoy it nice. yeah i uh, and the reason i ask is because i've spent an hour listening to you now and and i'm inspired and motivated by you and i think you'd be great at it and you sound like you're you. a huge ambassador yeah, for totally. entrepreneurship that. and like dude if you're ever speaking somewhere and i can be there let me know yeah. I'll, I'll let you know <laughs> Uh, Alicia, thanks so much for giving us your time. I know you're busy and you have places to be. So thanks so much for giving us your time and telling us your story and spending this time with us. Any parting words for anybody out there? How do people find you? Yeah, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, check us out at Road Coffee on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and www.roadcoffeeco.com to join the journey. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to another inspirational story of entrepreneurship on The Other 18 with Shane and Bryce. Want to be on the show or know someone who should be? DM us on Instagram at The Other 18 Podcast. Keep grinding.